What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Vinny Bellardini, live from St. Bonaventure University. Uh, this is the Journalist Workshop class, and my classmate and I, Jake McCollum, will be talking to Professor Chris Stanley this morning, who is a theology professor here at St. Bonaventure University and an active proponent of student voting and political participation. Uh, so Chris has academic degrees from the University of Virginia, uh, as well as Regent College in Vancouver and Duke University. Uh, and he's uh, a theology professor here, as I said before, and uh, we have a few questions for you involving uh, the importance of uh, student political participation and uh, that sort of thing. So without further ado, Jake, did you want to ask uh, Chris a question? Uh, sure. Chris, uh, in your opinion, how important are college-age voters going to be for the upcoming presidential election? Well, good question. The voter turnout among college students is notoriously low in uh, off-year elections, but higher during presidential elections. And uh, I think there's a lot of evidence that college students helped uh, Barack Obama to win with their enthusiasm for him. If uh, it should be that Bernie Sanders should beat out Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee, I would expect that college student participation will be huge. Uh, and depending on how it's hovering on the Republican side, could be enough to make the difference in the election. Um, if, it's not, if it's not him, um, it's not real clear at this point what kind of college student there, support there is or is not for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. I don't know enough about those things. But I think the elections these days are close enough that college students participating really have the uh, potential to make a difference and the candidates really want their support. Okay, Jake, I'll, I'll go ahead with one of mine now. Um, with, with all that in mind there, Chris, uh, what would you say to those college students who feel that their vote doesn't matter? Because I know I've personally spoken with a lot of them, and I, I know that there's a lot out there that I, that I probably haven't spoken to. Um, but it seems to be a very uh, popular idea that the individual vote doesn't really have an effect on the way things are run. So what would you say to people with that sort of ideology? Sure. Um, well, in 2008, uh, I'm, the, I'm the faculty advisor for the College Democrats group here on campus, and in 2008, in our district, we ended up with a congressional election that went to a recount vote, uh, and the Democratic candidate won by about 3,000 votes after the recount out of all the votes who were cast in this congressional district. And he gave um, our college Democrats group here credit for getting him elected because of the work that we did on his behalf beyond simply voting uh, to get the word out about him and that kind of thing because he needed to get a certain number of votes out of this county, which tends to be more Republican. And so in that case, uh, while one can't say that one vote made a difference, um, certainly the votes cast by college students in this district 
um, uh, assuming, you know, if they broke more to the Democratic direction, would have made the difference in the election. You never know ahead of time, you know. Uh, I mean, here at the presidential level, uh, traditionally the Democratic candidate is going to win the presidential presidential race. And so perhaps I can see a Republican or a Democrat saying, oh, I don't need to vote because it's not going to make a difference at the national level because, you know, the way the number of demographics are. But in a congressional race or even more so in uh, other races where you don't have a lot of voting, you know, state races, local races, um, uh, a few votes can really matter. Yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely an optimistic message for the individual vote, as well as you know the fact that people around the world fight every day for the right to vote, and a lot of a lot of them don't have it. So I think that that's right. important for us to take advantage of that as well. But Jake, did you there want to go ahead and countries like Australia? Oh, go- yeah, there are actually are countries like Australia where uh, voting is is required by law, uh, and you can be fined if you don't vote. And in that case. Student uh, citizens actually make a point of being more educated about what's going on, and I really wish we'd uh, be nice to have that kind of motivation here, right? even though whether it's a good law or not, we could talk about another time. So. Right. Um, I'm just one quick thing. I'm hearing some feedback off, coming off possibly a speakerphone. If somebody has a speakerphone on, did you want to just possibly or mute? Okay, I think that fixed it. Good. Okay. All right, Jake. Did you want to go ahead with another question, man? Sure. Okay. Uh, Chris, what are your predictions for the New York and PA state primaries? Well, it's, you know, they're, um, boy, what are my predictions? <laughs> Great question. It's hard to say. Uh, you know, typically uh, New York is going to be uh, uh, more uh, Democratic, and Pennsylvania has been leaning more Democratic in recent years. But that doesn't necessarily say who will win the Democratic uh, and the Republican um, presidential nominations. I've not seen any polls, and so I wish I could say. Uh, I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter, so uh, you can see where my sympathies would lie. Um, whether Bernie can pull it off here in uh, New York and PA, I don't know. Um, and I don't – certainly in the big – I think one of the big questions is probably – Typically, people perhaps in rural areas might be tend more toward uh, Donald Trump on the Republican side, and uh, but even and we've got a lot of rural areas. We have cities too, and I could imagine the possibility that if, if John Kasich is still in, he might get more support in New York and PA than perhaps he's gotten elsewhere because Republicans tend to be a bit more toward the moderate side in both states. Um, and we don't have as strong a um, an evangelical Christian population, which is where Ted Cruz has gotten support, and to some degree Trump also. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be in a position probably to make any strong predictions, but I think with the expectation would certainly be that Hillary would then would on the Democratic side, simply having been a state senator from I mean sorry a uh, national senator from uh, New York and of course Pennsylvania being nearby, but. Uh, yeah, I don't have a good sense on either of those at this point. Chris, uh, a lot of times it's said that uh, when it comes to voters going to the ballot and, and choosing candidates, a lot of them have an idea or, or have a uh, perception that they're choosing the the less bad, for lack of a better word, the less bad candidate over the worst candidate. Um, implying that they're choosing from a field of candidates that they don't predict, they don't particularly, um, they you know they would have chosen a different field themselves. Uh, so, 
in your opinion, do you think that the current system of nominating presidential candidates is fair? Well, P.J. O'Rourke, from, um, um, who's a columnist and a comedian, wrote a book that I've not read, but it's, I love the title. He says, uh, don't vote. It only encourages them. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, I think certainly that is that kind of a cynical view is something that is popular uh, today. Um, I think there is some reason for it. I think that the biggest problem we have is the massive influence of moneyed interests, uh, and that's why Bernie Sanders' campaign is so refreshing to show, show that. Uh, a person can raise enough money to mount a credible challenge to a uh, what was supposed to be a, a cakewalk candidacy for Hillary Clinton without having to rely on corporate money and super PACs and things like this. But as it is, you know, I think the system is is messed up. And uh, if you know one of the key planks of Bernie Sanders' campaign is to uh, overturn the Citizens United decision, Hillary Clinton says she would also that allowed corporate money to go into uh, elections in an unlimited way. Um, but even that, you've got to really go further. I mean, if we have a problem in this country with funding. We have a problem with uh, the fact that elections go on for two years, and it takes so much money for that. Uh, most other countries, of the democratic countries of the world, a political campaign might go on for six weeks or for three months or something like that. And so it's less expensive and uh, more focused, and people don't get sick and tired of seeing all the commercials, and you have equal treatment in the media uh, as far as... Uh, uh, equal time on you know TV and things like that. <clears throat> so our system is certainly stacked in a way to um, um, give greatest uh, pri- prob- uh, viability to candidates who uh, can raise lots of money, and that means they've got to be um, in the bed with uh, supporting certain interests and things like that. Right. And what what do you think the likelihood would be of any of that changing anytime soon of the overturning of Citizens United and, you know, the a more fair distribution of funding when it comes to campaigns. Do you think that that's kind of out of the question, wishful thinking or? Well, let's elect Bernie Sanders and we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely, know. I mean, that Hillary, definitely Hillary, talks, <laughs> Hillary talks the game also that, you know, right, she wants right. to do that. But in reality, you know, she gets so much money from Wall Street and lots of other companies. Uh, special interests. And, you know, once you're in there, you always have this uh, uh, need for money to get reelected. Um, the Democratic candidate I mentioned earlier, who we elected to Congress in 2008, told me that even after the election, from the very beginning, he spent four hours a day on the phone fundraising for his next election. <clears throat> That's screwed up. And uh, as long as we can continue to have that kind of a system where the person is concerned about not just getting elected this time, but getting elected next time, then it's hard to see how they can take strong and courageous stands um, that might perhaps alienate potential supporters, financial supporters, um, during the time they're in office. And I fear that Hillary is simply talking the game but won't push it um, and therefore perhaps you know maybe maybe some marginal change will happen certainly it won't nothing's going to change if any of the, any of the republican candidates are elected All right those are valid points Jake did you want to go ahead with another one of your questions Sure uh, Chris what trends do you typically see with college age voters Well typically 
college-age voters tend to be statistically more liberal than older voters. And I think they tend to get behind candidates who have a more populist message, as Bernie Sanders is, has had this time, or going back to to John F. Kennedy or uh, Barack Obama, someone who is more youthful and inspiring. Um, I wish I could say that college students were more educated on the issues than older people, but I don't think there's any generalizations you can make about that. I think maybe sometimes college students, like other voters, um, are uh, you know caught up in the uh, the personalities of the person and perhaps not necessarily um, doing any more research than anybody else does about you know the issues and the candidates and for example um, you know one of the reasons a lot of people support Hillary Clinton is well we have a uh, difficult world out there and she has a lot of experience in foreign policy and therefore she's um, you know qualified to handle it but. It's it's one question, one issue to have experience, another to ask uh, what would actually be her policies. And I personally don't like her foreign policy uh, approaches to anything pretty pretty much. So you know you got to have some experience and some frame of reference. Uh, I mean I think the best thing a college student can do in terms of thinking about voting is get educated. And I don't mean just get educated about the candidate's positions. That's certainly a very important thing to do. But, you know, even once you know what the candidates are saying they would do, um, uh, what should they be doing? You know, how do you judge? How do you compare, you know, Hillary Clinton's foreign policy approaches with, you know, Bernie, with um, Donald Trump's or anybody else's? And it can't be just, oh, that sounds good, you know, and it needs to be based on some understanding of the world around us. And typically that comes from, you know, living longer and being older, but unfortunately, uh, there are plenty of older people who are, are as ignorant as anyone about voting and about the issues in the world and things like that, and that's how, especially economic issues, and that's how we end up with the candidates we get a lot of times. I think that's a very good point to talk about how important the foreign policy component of this is, because often we don't we don't think about the fact that the president's uh, opinion on domestic policies really has. Uh, not as much value as his foreign policy because the domestic right. value obviously goes through the House and the Senate and all that. Uh, the president right. makes a lot of executive decisions about our foreign policy. Uh, exactly. So given all that and all that you've said, uh, what really uh, what affects the uh, events in Brussels and really the greater overall rise of ISIS and um, other extremist groups that we've seen in recent year, months and obviously years before then, uh, what effects is that playing into uh, – the, the nomination process and uh, or you know and are people taking that into account well it's hard to say I think on the Republican side certainly the polls would say that there are a certain percentage of voters who for whom that is their highest issue and their you know their their number one thing is we need to be safe and uh, unfortunately for a lot of those voters that means uh, at any cost, including the cost of civil liberties and uh, budgets and everything else. So whoever can uh, talk tough and um, make unrealistic uh, pronouncements about you know, how the United States can come in and just whip everybody's butt, if only you had a leader who would uh, have the gumption to make it happen, that appeals to a lot of people. And people who talk that way, like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, uh, are going to get the support of people like that. 
even though I don't agree with Hillary Clinton's approach to these issues, she tends to be much more measured and uh, um, thoughtful and aware of the limitations of what America can and cannot do on its own and the importance of working with other countries and Bernie Sanders even more so uh, in terms of his the way he talks about the issues. And I think the reality is the world is a complicated place, and to the degree that voters simply support somebody who offers simplistic solutions and tough guy, you know, uh, rhetoric, um, I think it's going to be doing our country a disservice. Although in reality, I think if those candidates get into power, they're going to find out really quickly that they can't. Uh, talk that way as a president and that they can't act unilaterally and that there are great limitations. And then those same voters will turn on them because they didn't do what they said they were going to do because we have this simplistic black and white view of foreign policy and of um, these unrealistic expectations of what what America can and can't do these days. Right, and those are all very, very valid points, and I agree with all of them. We only got a, a few more minutes left here, so we got time for a couple more questions. Uh, Jake, I'll let you go at it. Okay. Did you have another question, Jake? I do. Okay. Um, Chris, what changes do you see happening locally if uh, Bernie Sanders becomes president, other than the obvious? When you say locally, could you do you mean in only in Allegheny area, or New York State, or yeah. people's ordinary lives, or what do you mean? Uh, just the only in Allegheny area. Hmm. Well, that's hard to say. Um, I think that really, you know, the kind of things that Bernie Sanders wants to um, bring about change and have to do more with the national level. Uh, from the standpoint of, uh, of course, as I said earlier, campaign finance reform, but also shifting the uh, budgetary priorities and uh, the tax policies in such a way that uh, those at the top are paying more. He's going to one of his concerns would be to expand Social Security instead of cutting it back. And to the degree that that could ever be enacted, there are certainly lots and lots of older people in our local area who are on Social Security. I would expect, again, if he could get his way, there would be a lot more funding for um, social programs, which have been cut back significantly under the last uh, two or three decades. Uh, and so there might be better services for the poor and needy. Um, I think that uh, he certainly has talked about a massive infrastructure spending program to put people back to work uh, who are having trouble getting jobs. And so hopefully that would mean that we would have better roads and bridges and more jobs in our area because obviously this southern tier area uh, has not had the uh, same stronger economic recovery as the rest of the country. So those are the things that come immediately to mind anyway. Okay, so we looks like according to our time clock here, Chris, I know you have a, a class this morning, so we don't obviously do. want to make you late for that. So we'll finish up with one more question here. Um, what, if anything, in your opinion, makes this year's election different from many in the past? Well, one obvious thing is we have no incumbent in the race, and therefore both parties have highly contested um, primaries. That doesn't happen very often, and so when it does, it's something that um, um, ought to get the voters' attention. I think the other thing is that the candidates who are running represent such polar opposites uh, of one another. I mean, you think look at uh, 
someone like Ted Cruz on the conservative end versus uh, Bernie Sanders on the liberal end, and Bernie, who's a proud democratic socialist, the range of options that voters have to choose from is a lot wider this year than it typically is when you have candidates who uh, uh, tend to you know, play around more more toward the middle. Interestingly, I, I did intentionally say Ted Cruz and not Donald Trump because one of the, uh, uh, I think, best-kept secrets in some ways of this election is that Donald Trump is far, despite his, his bluster and his belligerent tone, from a policy standpoint, insofar as he's, as he's stated policies, he's the most moderate of the Republican candidates. Uh, and it would be very interesting to see uh, how many of his supporters would be disappointed with a President Trump because of the fact that he was not going to be, uh, that he's going to be perhaps more cooperative with the Democrats and uh, more centrist in many ways uh, than a lot of people would expect. So anyway, the range of choices, I think, is uh, is notably, notably different. And of course, there's always the issue of the uh, issues. I mean, we finally have a candidate, in my view, who's raising the hard questions that nobody wants to talk about in Bernie Sanders and saying essentially that the, the um, government, the emperor, the emperor has no clothes and we need to uh, address that. And I think it's a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to try to bring some, some fundamental change in the system, which I think is sorely needed. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Chris Stanley. I apologize all right. for all that feedback that we've been getting. We've been trying to locate the source of that, but I'm not sure where that was coming from. But it was a good conversation nonetheless. And, Happy to uh, do it. So go, have a great day. Good luck at your classes and everything. Thank and you very uh, much. From, absolutely. From St. Bonaventure University, we have Jake McCollum, and I am Vinny Bellardini. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast, and we'll be back after the Easter break. Thank you very much.